So in the early days of launching your app, uh, it's really important to generate positive reviews. Apptentive provides you with the tools to be able to get these reviews, get feedback, intercept any uh, negative feedback before it hits the app store. Uh, so go to apptentive.com forward slash app guy. That's apptentive.com forward slash app guy, all lowercase. And thank you, Apptentive, for sponsoring the show. Gummy Cube can help you with your app keywords. You know, you're only allowed 100 characters and picking those best keywords requires you to understand your market, your competitors in a popular search phrase. These all change seasonally and to stay on top, it's really difficult. So you need an app store optimization solution. I recommend going to Gummy Cube for this. Uh, Gummy Cube is G-U-M-M-I-C-U-B-E.com. They're a complete app store optimization service. And thank you so much to Gummy Cube for sponsoring this episode. Hi, this is Ben Rubin, the CEO of 10% Happier, and you're listening to the App Guy Podcast. The App Guy Podcast. Straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy Podcast. I'm your host. It's uh, Paul Kemp. This is the show for entrepreneurs, apppreneurs, anyone who's thinking of uh, joining a startup or just learning from the wonderful guests that we get on this show. And so let me uh, go straight into today's uh, guest. Uh, We've got a a terrific guest lined up. Uh, He has actually made an appearance as well in the past with um, an app called Sticky Nine, but this is Graham Hobson. Uh, He is the co-founder of Photobox. Photobox is a terrifically successful company. He's going to tell us all about how it started, walk us through his journey and um, I guarantee that everyone listening to this will at least have heard of Photobox and maybe even have used the service as well. So it's a massive guest. Thanks very much, Graham, for coming on the show. Hello, Paul. Yeah. Uh, well, let's kick it off. I remember uh, us chatting and you, you, you almost remember the first day of Photobox. Uh, tell us about the start of, of Photobox and, and that story of um, how I think you ended up making a few pounds on the first day. Indeed, indeed. So, uh, yeah, I started Photobox 15 years ago. Uh, so it was in the height of the dot-com boom, uh, year 2000, when a lot of uh, dot-com projects were starting up and getting well-funded. Um, kind of stepping back a few months from that, I uh, it really started not because I wanted to be an entrepreneur or, or do something dot-com, but because I had a very simple need. I, um, I had two young children at the time. I have, I have three now, but... Uh, at the time, we were taking lots of photos of, of them, my wife and I, on, a, on a, a roll film camera. And it felt like every week I was going down to Boots with this roll of film and, and getting them processed. Uh, and, you know, you snap off lots of pictures and some of them are great, some of them are not so great. But you end up storing them all because you don't feel like throwing away pictures of your kids. And I, I just thought it was kind of wasteful and we weren't really doing anything creative with the pictures. So... I wanted to, you know, I'm a tech guy, I'm a gadget guy, I wanted to get a digital camera, I wanted to justify it to my wife, and I was saying, this can be our main camera for the family. And I bought <laughs> it, and it, it was great. You know, I could do sc- screensavers and uh, slideshows, but uh, my wife said, well, you know, give me prints. I want to put prints on the wall and give them to family. And and there wasn't any print service. I was I was kind of expecting, you know, between Boots and Fuji and Kodak, there was bound to be something, but there, there wasn't uh, in Europe. And it just seemed to me, okay, this is a tech problem. Um, maybe I can have a go at it. And I, I very naively started to write uh, a business plan when I was on the tube every day going into town. And uh, after about four weeks, I had a plan that looked pretty credible. And 
started to mention it to some people at work. Uh, I worked for in technology for an investment bank at the time, and some people said, oh, that sounds like a good idea. If you decide to go ahead, we'll fund you. This, so this is towards the end of 99. I managed to rope in a friend, Mark, to help me. Uh, and I, I was pretty lucky with a lot of serendipity of knowing people that could, you know, give me the confidence uh, and, and a bit of advice to get started. And by the beginning of 2000, I was there ready to go. Uh, I'd, I'd managed to raise um, quite a lot of money, £480,000 in a week. That, that tells you how frothy <laughs> investments in dot-coms <laughs> were at the time. Uh, and I, I felt like an almost fraud. I was uh, sitting in my house in the first week of January with £480,000 in, in, a, in a newly opened bank account. I had a piece of paper that purported to be a business plan. Um, I had um, no, no premises, no people, no printing equipment, no website. Um, and, and thinking the Daily Mail is going to write about me uh, as absconding with people's money. But uh, we started, we found, a, Mark and I found um, basically a kind of shed in uh, Clerkenwell. Uh, it was a converted garage and moved in there. Uh, we, we contacted Fuji and, and bought a printing machine like you'd see in the back of Boots. And we got uh, a guy called Chris to write us a website, which he did in six weeks. Uh, and, and, you know, to cut a long story short, we, uh, we launched on, um, in early May and... The first day trading was two pounds seventy in sales, uh, which was. I, I, don't, I can't. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I honestly can't remember whether I was overjoyed or or, or despondent, but uh, it happened anyway. <laughs> Uh, such a wonderful story. So much to pick up on it. I mean, first of all, Clerkenwell, you were probably working a stone's throw away from where I was living at the time and uh, working for an investment bank as well. Uh, I'd love to pick up on that part of the story, Graham, because uh, I have gone through a journey where I've left uh, a, a nice financial position in, in the city of London. Uh, how um, how much risk did you do you remember, like how you actually got through that risk of leaving a nice steady position to go and do your own thing yeah it was it was brutal i think and i i, I probably didn't realize at the beginning how bad it would <laughs> it would be uh you know obviously coming out the other side of that and having a business that continued to grow and thrive it, it, it's fine now but um, it wasn't fine for a lot of people who made that leap so i think there are several points along the way that made me realize perhaps what a large leap it was. One one of them was um, late November in 99 when I was thinking of the idea. I went for breakfast with my wife on a Saturday morning and and I said to her, I've got this idea of, you know, setting up a, a website to print people's photos and told her a bit about it. And she said, that sounds amazing. That's great. You know, uh, what are you going to do with the idea? And I said, well, I, I want to do it. And she said, what, full time and give up your day job? And I said, yeah. And she was really worried about it. And I think it took a a while to convince her that it would be okay. But I probably convinced her by saying, look, it's just a year. You know, the dot-com boom is so big that maybe I'll set it up. It'll be a really good idea. And somebody will, who knows what they're doing, doing is, will take it off my hands. So I, I really felt like I was investing a year of my time. Um, it turned out to be, obviously, a lot longer than that, 15 years and counting. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
and I think you know I took a salary cut. It, it was a, a really small company, and we we were aware that we were had other people's money that was invested. So Mark and I paid us uh, ourselves, you know, a third or less than a third of what we were earning before. Uh, again, we had this view that it's only for a short period of time, but it ended up being a much longer period of time. So yeah, there was a lot of sacrifice. Um, we. The, the dot-com bubble collapsed um, in the spring of 2000, and a lot of uh, a lot of dot-coms went bust. Um, banks certainly stopped lending money, and investors lost their confidence. and And we were running out of money by by the summer of 2000. We needed another tranche of money, and uh, it became very difficult to get. And we effectively went into a kind of hibernation mode where we ran it as a small business for three years. Uh, really, you know, a, a small business. We even after three years, we had uh, I think, um, including ourselves, five people on the payroll. Um, and and I I had a daily chart of um, sales, and there was only one day in the first five years where we did more than twenty five thousand pounds a day. So it, it really was a small business. Uh, and that was completely different to the original dream uh, of you know what what we thought we were creating. Yeah, I mean, I, what I love about this is that you obviously have gone on to prove it, it was a massive success, and it's quite easy for you now looking back. But but many of the people listening are at that starting stage where they can't see ahead of them. And what what, what uh, you know guidance could you maybe give anyone who is perhaps. Uh, you know, just at the start of their journey, and uh, and they're looking to um, you know move their their idea forward. Did you learn any significant points um, from that early stage? I think you know, Mark and I were obsessed about uh, about the providing the service and doing it well. Um, we we both took very different um, roles within the organisation. I was focusing on technology, business development. Uh, Mark was much more focused on kind of operations and, you know, how the business would work. Uh, I, I was out there basically trying to get customers, whether they were retail, you know, consumer customers or partners, and making sure the technology got built. Um, but we just were obsessed about getting it right uh, and providing a good experience. So we were very, very busy. There were very long hours. I mean, I kind of remember a few 18-hour days for, for quite a few weeks or months maybe. Um, and we were obsessed like with one simple idea, which was if you ordered your prints by 4 p.m., you would have them the next morning. Um, and we couldn't afford marketing. We couldn't afford PR. There, wasn't, there were no Google AdWords. There were no social networks. So it was very difficult to get the message out. But by providing you know, a great service to, to the small number of customers we did have, we were basically growing by word of mouth. So I think that personal... Uh, obsession with getting getting it right was was very strong for us, but there's a kind of tension between um, growing a, a solid small business and and going all out for for you know growth hacking as it's called these days. We, uh, it, you know, in retrospect, we we got the balance right because a lot of people that um, tried harder and faster and with more money burnt out of money quite quickly and went bust. Um, we had this slow, steady path, um, not hurrying things along, trying to be self-sufficient on cash. That worked. Uh, in retrospect, I think I would have tried to go a bit faster, um, probably would have cut prices a bit earlier, You know, just gone for a bit more growth than we did do. Um, 
but you know you have to find the right balance and and maintain control we at all times i felt felt like we were in control of the business and we we managed our risks to be quite low yeah you mean you actually got through that whole uh dot com uh burst and uh, also I mean, you picked up on one of the major themes of this whole series, you know, 300 odd episodes now, uh, is uh, the attention or obsession with a problem uh, and solving a problem. Did you feel like that's a really important thing for our entrepreneurs to, to really focus on now? Yeah, I, I absolutely. I mean, I've often heard it said that, you know, don't, don't try and be an entrepreneur, just just go out and build something you feel strongly about um, and you feel may, may be of interest to others. It, for me, it really was a service that I wanted to use. I couldn't find anywhere else. And um, I guess probably I am quite obsessional about product. And, and once you start with one thing, like we had a core of you know, some three or four print sizes, that was all we sold. And then we were asking customers, what would you like us to do next? Would you like us to do sharing? Would you like us to do professional photography galleries? Would you like us to do gift items? And they were telling us, and we were basically just building on demand every week. And, and that was fun. It was, you know, it was great getting that, that feedback and, and reacting to it and then seeing people um, react to that. So, you know, the wonderful thing that we were learning about this newly emerging e-commerce industry was you could create a product and launch it with, and within a few minutes people would be buying it. So you were getting immediate feedback. And like one of our um, most successful products still, uh, particularly at this time of year, is a photo calendar, a personalized photo calendar. And we launched that in, at the end of the first year just because a friend of Mark said, oh, I'm doing some local photos of Finchley and I'm, I might want to raise some money for a charity. Do you think you could print me off a calendar? And we, we figured out how to do it. So... Things like that were fun. Uh, we, we loved it. Um, and, you know, dealing with customers, good and bad <laughs> interactions with customers was um, a challenge, but I, I loved it, you know, particularly when you might get a, a complaint. We learned, we called it Volvo syndrome. It was like when somebody had the, the wrapper of an email around their communication, they felt like they could be super angry or passionate that they wouldn't be face to face. It was like that protection layer. Um, so we get these incoming emails sometimes from people that we'd uh, annoyed or disappointed, and, and they would tell us they've ruined uh, ruined their lives, and you know we're the worst <laughs> no. company in the world. And and the great thing really was, you know, I would pick up the phone and talk to them and say, "We're really sorry. You know, what have we done to disappoint you? Can we fix it? Can we can we print some more? Can we deliver something to you tomorrow?" And they were always so charming and so wonderful on the phone. And actually, a lot of those people where something went wrong and we fixed it, they became our best advocates and uh, you know, best promoters. And um, so, you know, that stuff uh, was great. It was just amazing to go from a large company uh, in technology where you felt somewhat distanced from your, your consumers and, and then go into something where you really were talking to them every day. That is wonderful. And actually, just talking about, I mean, the success, uh, anyone listening to this will know that photo box is extremely successful you've almost uh, made it in a way uh, at, um, you know you've got to the end game of where many entrepreneurs and uh, people listening to this that are doing their own startups are only just starting and they cannot and they can't even imagine what it would be like to be a photo box what was it like when you you kind of get to the point where it, i guess you just have any 
kind of um, choices in front of you now, what you decide to do. Do, do, do you have any guidance on what, what it's like to actually make it and uh, you know build a successful company? It, it's, it is a real privilege. I mean, first of all, uh, I'd say to anybody building a company out there, it, 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 it's not a, there's no guaranteed path to success. There aren't good entrepreneurs and bad entrepreneurs. Um, in a way, successful entrepreneurship is a game of natural selection. Um, the people that happen to get to the, the end point of success have made a thousand tiny decisions along the way that happened in retrospect to be the right ones. Um, of course, you can improve your chances of success. You can do research. You can please your customers. You can take smart moves. You can manage your risks. But there's no guarantee of success. And so I've, I've benefited from that natural selection process and a lot, of, uh, a lot of hopefully good input along the way, but some lucky chances as well. And, and so you're never guaranteed. Um, for me... It's felt like I've worked for four completely different companies. I had the the three painful, slow years in the, in in the shed in Clerkenwell um, with a very small team and lots of hard work. And I think probably around that time, you know, remortgaging the house, that kind of thing. I, I had the next three years, which was a much more solid footing in the UK, where we. We felt like a, a very small, successful company. You know, not worried about going bust, but but still quite small scale, um, and getting to the point where we were UK market leader, but you know, in a, in a small market in a way. Uh, then we had a period from 2006 onwards where we moved out into Europe. We merged with a French company. There's a whole story behind that, but maybe that's for another time. Uh, but we, I, we merged. It was a good step for us, and it opened up Europe as a, um, as, a as a new market for us. Um, so we had that, that European step. And then I think from about 2009 onwards, we really started to accelerate and uh, acquire other businesses and become much stronger as a European market leader. So since that time, we acquired Moonpig, which I'm sure many people will know. Uh, and, and we started up uh, and acquired other brands, uh, one called Poster XXL in Germany, Hoffman in Spain, uh, and also started some of our own brands, Sticky Nine, which I'm very actively involved in now. Uh, which operates a lot in the US. Um, uh, so we, we became more of a kind of family of brands. Um, so success, yes, it's a successful company. It's growing fast. Um, we employ about, um, well, more than a 1,000 people across Europe, and we operate in 20 countries. And that's great. But I look at the company now, and I worry about the 1,000 things that I know are wrong and <laughs> need fixing. Uh, so it, it feels right. like... You know, so it, it never, never ends. Done. It never ends. No, no. I, I feel like, you know, there's a huge burden of probably a dozen huge projects that we've got to execute over the next year to really please our customers, continue to grow and, you know, be a good company. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's never easy. I've never had one of those days of coming in, reading the paper and thinking, where will I go for lunch? So, so, so Graham, you are at the uh, in a way, you've you know, had a wonderfully successful uh, time talking about all these different you know iterations of the company. Is it worth it, in your opinion? If anyone's now uh, they're they're in a finance job, they're thinking of quitting, they're going to do their own thing, they're obsessed, they've got their business plan. Is it worth it? I, I for me, there were I was thirty five when um, 
when I took the leap to start this. And, and I think at the time there was a lot of coverage of, you know, 23-year-olds in Converse doing startups. And, and that was like the public image of, of entrepreneurs. In fact, I remember reading some research at the time that the average age of an entrepreneur in year 2000 was 35. So I was kind of spot on. I think it's a good time in your life. You, you've, you've accumulated some you know, business knowledge and contacts uh, and influence uh, and, and skills. And um, perhaps also you're thinking, do I want to carry on doing the, the same thing for the next 10 years? So for me, it was definitely a stepping off point where I, I felt all those things were coming together. Um, but I, I'm glad I did it. I really think there's no, there's no shame in trying a startup and, and failing. Um, you'll have huge learning from it. You know, I don't think you should put your family's future at, at risk. But, um, but, you know, if you control the risks and you say, I'm going to give myself a certain amount of time and a certain amount of investment in it and, and try it, you know, not everybody's an entrepreneur, but for, for, for me, it was a huge experience that I, that I absolutely loved, even even in the most stressful times. Yeah, because I almost, I almost remember as well, the ch- uh, I think the chat with the Moonpig founder who probably went through a similar thing of having his house on the line at one point, not knowing it was going to work. And obviously then it all coming uh, good at the end. Uh, also, I know we skipped over about the funding as well. Funding is always a massive question that I'm asked. Uh, you successfully secured funding at the early stage. Uh, I, I mean, we could actually argue that we're maybe in a similar position to what we were in the 2000s with the dot-com bubble, but this time with apps and digital. Uh, yeah. But uh, how, how did you go about getting the funding? So uh, I, I wrote a business plan, as I said, and which ended up being, you know, 20 pages saying what I was trying to do. Uh, you know, this is the problem I think exists. This is my potential solution. This is going, how I'm going to go about it. This is how I think I'm going to market the idea. This is how I, um, I'm going to manage risks. It, it was, you know, a, a document saying what I'm trying to do. Um, gave that to a few people and they liked the idea and were positive. I, I guess I was lucky not everybody has this but i i had a lot of contacts in the city who uh i guess were looking for efficient places to park their bonus so th- these were about um 20 to 30 people that were willing to invest 15,000 to 30,000 each and and because the market you know for dot coms was so um hyped up at the time it was pretty easy they were they were almost kind of falling over themselves to do it now Today, that's not true. I think it's a lot tougher to pitch an idea that, that everybody says, wow, that's a great idea. It, it feels somewhat like everything's been done before. Of course, that's not true, but there's a little bit of perception in that. But there's a good side today as well, which is you can do a startup for a lot less money these days. Um, when we started, that you, you had to buy everything. There, there was no such thing as cloud hosting. Um, software licenses were really expensive. I mean, we, uh, to give you an idea, we, we, know we, we knew we were going to need storage for photos, at least for um, you know, the, the printing side of things. And we ended up buying um, 64 gigabytes uh, in this huge Dell storage array. It took two men to lift it. Uh, it was so heavy. Of course, that's you know, the capacity I have on my iPhone these days. But that cost <laughs> us £10,000 just for that storage. Um, so, you know, we needed 480 to, to get all of this kit, uh, office space, uh, the printing machine, uh, to get everything set up. 
I think if we were starting Photobox today with exactly the same service, it would probably cost us less than 50,000. So it's a you know, huge difference in what we would have needed to raise. Let me take this opportunity to thank my sponsors. Are you an app founder? Are you an app creator? Do you have people using your app? Do you need to know more about this for your job? Whatever your situation, apptentive.com forward slash app guy is the place to go because you'll get a free mobile app consultation. And in fact, if you think about the successful guests that have been on this show, the number one thing that often comes out is the customer experience it is the major differentiator. And so you need to be able to communicate effectively with your users. Uh, two-way communication and you also need to keep a lot of the negative uh, criticisms of bugs off of the reviews and into your personal messaging center so go to apptentive.com forward slash app guy all lowercase apptentive a-p-p-t-e-n-t-i-v-e dot com forward slash app guy and go check them out you get a free mobile app consultation when you go there get a free trial of their dashboard. Thank you so much to Apptentive for continuing to support this show. GummyCube is changing the way everyone uses data for mobile marketing with their revolutionary DataCube, which is App Store intelligence software. You can use DataCube to understand trends, improve the performance of mobile marketing campaigns, and predict consumer demand to make more informed product development decisions. So you need to take your mobile marketing and your App Store optimization to the next level by using GummyCube. For example, users expect different search results when going to an App Store than compared to uh, maybe Google search. There are different trends within App Store search. App Store search algorithms are different. In fact, web-based search engine optimization or SEO techniques do not apply when it comes to the App Store. So go and launch your own campaign by going to www.gummycube.com. Uh, that's G-U-M-M-I-C-U-B-E.com, gummycube.com, or just type them in uh, to Google and you'll see all the different uh, wonderful things that have been written about them and all the great content that they put out as well to help you think about App Store optimization. So thank you very much to GummyCube for continuing to support these episodes. Now let's get back to the interview. There's two more things that we need to do then, Graham, before we, we say goodbye to you. Uh, one is that uh, we love to try to uh, come up with new ideas um, and, and maybe look at your journey as an entrepreneur and think about uh, the frustrations that you have in your current, you know, what you're currently involved with, the the challenges that you may have. If we can flesh out maybe a big pain point that you're experiencing, uh, it may lead to, to a, a potential um, idea for someone to solve and, and create a, a site or an app to do that. So do you, can you think of a pain point in your business or that you think would make a, a good um, idea to try and solve? Um, well, one, one particular pain point I have now is it's not a technical problem to solve. It's just, it's around Sticky9. Uh, so as, as you know, we, we launched this smaller brand um, targeted at a younger demographic. It's like fun products for fridge magnets and um, retro style prints and things like that. It's, it's an app. Uh, it's very popular in countries outside of Europe where, where Photobox is strong, um, it, it's uh, so now I'm I'm going back to my roots and running the more commercial side of that, trying to find uh, new sources of customers and converting them well. Um, so I think that's a, a, a struggle. I, one thing I learned is um, coming out of the whole Photobox experience and switching to this smaller brand. I kind of thought this would be easy. This is like going back to what I do and. And somebody described it as second album syndrome. Uh, they, you know, because I had a good track record the first time, it, 
everybody thought it would be super easy for me to do it a second time with a smaller brand. But actually, it's not. There's no magic formula. The things I'm learning about Sticky Nine are, you know, would challenge anybody. And uh, there's no kind of fast track to just making a, a small brand instantly successful. So we're we're working our way through um, figuring out, you know, how to make that brand efficient, profitable, and uh, and continue to grow fast. Uh, on the on the wider scale, uh, customer experience these days um, is is a complicated thing. You have to serve your customers on websites, uh, but increasingly on mobile devices. A lot of our brands that we operate within the group now transact more on mobile than they do on web, uh, on web desktop. Um, right. And that's that's difficult for us. You know, you have to build normally then a website uh, and uh, an iOS app and an Android app. So you're you're losing a little bit of focus by going across those three platforms. It's certainly costing more money uh, to build across three platforms simultaneously. And that presents some challenges. Uh, if I had to cite one thing, it's like, how do I kill Flash for our users? Uh, Flash is still very relevant for us on the desktop. We, we have a, uh, a complex, rich uh, experience of designing, for example, photo books or calendars and dragging in your photos, resizing them, adding designs, borders, text. Uh, and Flash actually still provides the, the best experience on desktop browsers. It's consistent across all browsers, um, you know, surprisingly good on memory management. And HTML5 is, is getting there, but not, not a really mature technology yet. Um, and so that, that's a big challenge. You know, we know that Flash has to go, uh, but getting rid of it is proving more troublesome. Okay, there's two, there's two things there. One is um, uh, for anyone who has not heard the episode uh, where we go through Sticky Nine, then they should go back and listen to that. You can get it off the website, theappguy.co. It's a, a bonus episode that was released a few weeks ago. And uh, yeah, the, the one is um, Flash and trying to port those to uh, HTML5. And also, I get a, a lot of requests to um, take Flash and put it into a, you know, like uh, create apps. Uh, from uh, games built out of Flash or other stuff, and and so that whole porting over to to the newer technologies is a real challenge. Uh, uh, that's definitely um, some potential ideas there for anyone co- to solve those. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Well, this is a show about apps, Graham. So it would be totally appropriate to try and figure out, you know, if we could get an app recommendation for you from you, and it could be a personal app that you use. Uh, for life around London, or um, you know, what some app that you may use for your business? Could you give us an app recommendation? Oh gosh, uh, putting me on the spot here. So and and let actually, me, uh, let me yeah, don't on... don't don't close the phone, will you? Because we are recording. So. No, 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 I won't. I won't. I, so I know two things that are on my home screen that I do use a lot. Um, one is City Mapper, which I'm sure people are familiar with. Uh, it, it's amazing if you want to go anywhere in London, and I know they they're, they're supporting many other cities around the world now. Um, it will tell you exactly how to get there um, by different modes. It'll even tell you, like, turn left at this corner, walk down this street, then, you know, get this bus. Uh, it, it, it's amazing and very accurate on when you're going to get there. So I, I use that all the time. Uh, it often shows me creative routes that I never would have thought of before. The other one is, uh, I think, like a lot of people in London, I'm, I'm a bit of a foodie. I love discovering restaurants. It's my main kind of hobby outside of work. And... Um, I love the app Uncover, uh, which just showcases amazing restaurants that the app um, 
owners have been to themselves and love and uh, they can get you always a table for tonight at the chosen restaurant so it's uh, i love that oh great that's actually never been mentioned uncover and also um city mapper those are two apps that will be on uh, the appguide.co on your show notes episode 384 where people can also get hold of you and your links as well graham but in the meantime sure. how can people get in touch or connect with you uh, what's the best way of reaching out uh they can uh they can reach me on twitter i'm graham hobson or they can email me graham at photobox.com terrific graham what a great journey it's wonderful to go through that with you um all the, all the best with getting sticky nine to where dropbox uh, photo box is now and uh, <laughs> uh all the um uh, all the best with um, your continuing journey as well. I'm sure that a lot of people will be inspired from hearing your story. Thanks a lot, Paul. I really enjoyed it. Remember, this episode has been brought to you by Apptentive. They are sponsoring this show. Go and show them some love. Go and check out apptentive.com forward slash appguy. It's a unique page set up for us and they get to try uh, to help you with a free mobile app consultation. Uh, it will enable you to do effective two-way communication with your users of your app so go to apptentive.com forward slash app guy apptentive.com forward slash app guy thank you so much to apptentive for supporting the show so remember to go and check out www.gummycube.com that's g-u-m-m-i-c-u-b-e.com who are the world's best app store optimization company and i highly recommend using them to improve the optimization of your apps and help them get discovered in the app store and use their algorithms and their data cube from the google play store and the apple app store so www.gummycube.com and thanks to gummycube for being such a great supporter of this show so one final announcement i am involved in eyeless i love your stories uh, eyeless.com forward slash ph is where you go to get 50 percent off of the annual subscription and it's really been helping me to write i've been writing a lot i've been getting actually quite a lot of traffic to uh, my posts on medium and uh, it's made me realize that I've actually got to do a lot more uh, writing. So I've been using Eyeless. It's distraction-free writing to get you into the creative flow. And I'm telling you, it's fantastic. I, I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. And so I want you to benefit from this. I mean, it's free to set up an account. And so, I mean, if you want to go to eyeless.com forward slash PH, you can write your first 3,000 words uh, with uh, complete distraction-free creative writing and and then if you do want to subscribe use that uh, link uh, eyeless.com forward slash ph and uh, you'll get 50 percent off uh, when you do actually uh, buy the software go and support it it's fantastic i'm loving it i'm writing and i'm getting a lot of traffic as a result of doing that so go and create some awesome content yourself and uh, i guess it could be combined with what people are calling cyber monday so if you're listening to this on cyber monday then you'll be able to get the offer. Thanks very much for listening to this. Uh, I look forward to getting you another episode shortly.